Blog Talk Radio. Paleo Hebrew, 
Welcome to the show, y'all. I'm your brother, your your friend, your host, as always, Tyler Pye. And uh, welcome, man. Welcome to uh, My New Day on Thursdays, man, um, a segment that I'm going to call FYI, which means for your information, man. So uh, informative classes dealing with many different topics. If you have any questions, please hit me up, 314-482-9110. I know that um, certain brothers have asked me questions uh, in the past, and I apologize to you brothers too, man, because I was supposed to uh, dealt with your questions a long time ago. But I'm definitely planning on getting to the questions, man. I was kind of uh, tied up uh, with hell with life, and then you know only had uh, Tuesdays, which I was covering other topics. So this these Thursdays will give me an opportunity to uh, cover other topics and deal and dig a little bit more deeper into the book, man. Uh, I want to take a brief intermission, y'all. I'm kind of running behind this morning. I'm trying to get me some tea going so I can get my, my vocals together, my voice together. So if y'all bear with me for a second, I'll be right back. Tuning into the show for your first time, man. Uh, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, uh, our segment uh, by ISBHPK, Israelite School of Biblical History and Practical Knowledge. We refer to as Bible talkers on our show. That's what exactly what we do. We let the Bible talk. We don't do a lot of uh, bringing a lot of opinion, uh, any opinion, honestly. Uh, and we don't um, we don't lie, man. We keep things all truthful and all biblical. You know, the Bible says prove all things, and we, we, which we predicate ourselves on proving all things. Um, that's the way I came up. That's the way my elders came up and the elders before them, man, proving things, not just running off at the mouth and saying stuff. So we prove things here. Now, uh, I'm going to do the format a little different on Thursdays. I'm not going to cover any current events or news, y'all. Uh, I just I'm just going to dig right into the topic, but I am going to start off like I normally would start off in Matthew. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. I want to send shouts out to our affiliated schools, the brothers here in San Antonio. Big shouts out to you, brothers. 
Award, Shamshuan and the crew. Uh, shout out to um, the brothers down in H-Town, Quattro Zop and his crew. Uh, shout out to VA, because I get out there holding it down. Uh, shout out to the brothers down in Rochester, the brothers holding it down in Albuquerque, uh, Aish, uh, Dariad Nim. And shout out to the California, our newly, our newly California brothers and sisters that have joined the Sheepfold. Shout out to y'all. And shout out to uh, Cow Cobb down in Guatemala. <clears throat> and shout out to the 12 tribes worldwide, man. So whatever uh, acronym that you go by, whatever school or congregation or assembly you are, you are, you are affiliated with, Shouts out to y'all, man, because we're definitely getting out here as a whole, as a nation, as a people, not by camp, not by congregation, but by a nationality, a nation, the nation of Israel. All right, y'all, so let me get to it. This is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer we need to be saying so we can get the hell on up out of this demonic place, y'all. So let's get Psalms chapter 118, verse 24. I got some type of slim or something going on this morning, man. I guess it might be the weather or the rain we've been having, man. I've been waking up every morning with this slim, though. It's getting on my nerves. Psalms chapter 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most high brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it, y'all. Definitely. All right, y'all. So let me get to it, dealing with the topic at hand. So I'm just going to read y'all this article. All right, this is from Newsweek, and this is oh, y'all. This is from uh, last month on the 20th. So this is from May 20th, and it's from Newsweek. And it reads, Netflix sued for depicting Cleopatra as black woman. I don't know if y'all heard about this. Y'all familiar with it? Uh, y'all should be by now for all our Netflix uh, fanatics. <laughs> I will be one of them. And if you're if you're Israelite in general, man, that's all you pretty much doing anyway, man. Israelites watch a lot of TV. <laughs> we watch we watch a lot of TV, man. Whether it be shows or documentaries, man. I know I love some documentaries. Uh, we watch a lot of TV though. But I don't know if y'all heard about this. So Netflix is being sued for this Cleopatra uh, docudramatization, whatever they call it. And I watched some of it, man, about as much of it as I could, I could stomach, but I didn't get through it all. So I'm going to continue on in the article. It says, an Egyptian lawyer on Sunday 
filed a lawsuit over Netflix's upcoming Queen Cleopatra, accusing the streaming service of erasing Egyptian identity for depicting her ruler as a black woman. Man, this is so comical to me. It's comical, and it's, it, it really shows how people don't know their history. Like I always say, man, people don't uh, read history, study history, follow history, because it, to them it's just boring. But if you don't know your past, man, you won't know your future. If you don't know history, then you won't know how you got to be where you where you are now. You know, everybody's crazy. Why, why, why? Why is you got to go back? You know, like the scriptures tell us, I guess I got to get this. Let's get Job chapter 8 and verse 8. Job chapter 8 and verse 8, and it reads, For inquire, inquire means to make inquiry, uh, inquiry, to ask questions. For inquire, I pray thee of the former age. So inquire of the former age, which would be what? The past. It says, prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. What does it mean to prepare? Prepare yourself for the information that you're going to receive because you might not be able to digest it. You might not be able to receive it. That's why I say you got to prepare yourself. You know, it's, it's funny, too. I was talking to Mama Deuce, talking to my mama yesterday. And she was caught up on uh, David and Bathsheba's affair. Now, she knew that uh, David's uh, punishment for that was for the tension to be going on uh, in his house. You know, we know the aftermath. Go back and read the story. If you don't, it's history. I know some of y'all won't. But we know the aftermath of what happened. But she couldn't wrap her mind around why the kid had to die. And, you know, looking back on it, maybe I shouldn't have went as deep with her because she's really on a really basic level. So the kid had to die because that was part of David's punishment uh, also. And then that child was born out of a very sinful uh, situation. So the most high chose to take the child. But Mama Deuce couldn't get out of her mind, well, what did the child do? You know, she had this perception like the child was just innocent, you know. And like I said, maybe I went too deep. I did. So I had to show her in the scriptures in Job, it says, uh, has anyone ever perished being innocent? And from there, I, I, I showed her a couple of reincarnation scriptures. Now, I'm going to be fair, too, man. I was kind of messing with my mama. <laughs> I was kind of messing with her because she don't believe in reincarnation. She don't believe. I know she don't believe. We've had this conversation several times over. But I'm showing her in the scriptures, and I go to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 11, where Christ is talking to the Israelites, his disciples included, and he tells them, he said, what did y'all go out into the wilderness to see? He's talking about John the Baptist, right? And then he talked, you know, he went on about John the Baptist, uh, noting his his uh, his accomplishments, the things he did, how great of a man he was. And then 
he gets to the point where he says, and if you will receive it, if you will receive it, this was Elijah. <laughs> he tells he tells us that in the scriptures. If you but he prefaced it with if you will receive it. Because he knew what? That a lot of people don't want to receive reincarnation. They can't know, they can't even contemplate it. Like, nah, man, ain't no such thing. Uh, we don't come back. We're not regenerated, so on and so forth. But get back to my point. A lot of us don't receive things that we get from history either. So I'm going to read this again in Joe. Get back on point. I know I went all over the world. But let me get back on point. It says, for inquire, for inquire, I pray thee, of the former age. And prepare thyself to the search of of their fathers. We have to prepare ourselves for the things that we research and run across in history, this being one of them. So I'm going to continue on with the article from Newsweek. And it reads, it says, Momad Samiri, I know I'm butchering this dude's name, but I'm doing the best I can, submitted the, the, uh, the legal complaint with Egypt's public prosecutor following the recent release of the trailer for the the docudrama series, which premieres May 10th. So it premiered May 10th, because remember, y'all, I told you this article is old. His filing not only requested legal action be taken against the master, I'm sorry, the makers of the show, but for Netflix to be shut down in Egypt. So this dude's like, nah, they ought to take that, that crap down and then, matter of fact, we don't even want Netflix and either. This is how serious these cats was about this uh, <laughs> documentary that they did, or this uh, docudrama series they did. Now, this is his quote. Most of what Netflix, Netflix platform display do not conform to Islamic, y'all, y'all hear this, right, Islamic and societal values and principles, especially Egyptian ones, Mahmoud al-Samari said in his complaint, according to the, the, Egyptian, appendant, uh, the Egyptian Independent. So I guess it's a, a new, uh, news publication. Uh, Adele James, a British actress who is of mixed race, stars as the queen in the upcoming Netflix production. And you know, that's one thing I could figure out. I just don't. Well, I can, but it's like, and I don't know if y'all noticed this, but every, like, historical movie or every, like, biblical movie, they always got damn English accents. <laughs> what is up with that? They, like, always got damn English accents. They want you to, to they want, they're, they're trying to burn into your memory, into your mind that, Everything historical and everything that is righteous and honest and right has to do with white people. That's why they do that. It's the most racist, supremacist thing ever. But this is what they've been doing, man. All right, read on. Uh, Data Pickett-Smith 
serves as executive producer of the series, and she is quoted in promotional material from Netflix as saying, we don't often get to see or hear stories about black queens. And that was really important for me, as we, as well as for my daughter, and just for my community to be able to know those stories because there are tons of them. Um, Jada, it is tons of them, but this ain't one of them. This is not one of them. Read it on in the article. I'm going to prove my point, what I'm saying. It says, however, many historians, listen to this, many historians and experts on ancient Egypt disagree with Cleopatra was of Macedonian heritage and likely fair-skinned, meaning white, but not everyone shares this view. Other scholars have argued that the monarch may have had additional ancestries and her complexion may have not been fair. That is not accurate, and I'm about to prove that to y'all. Now, I touched on this before, man, briefly, but, hell, since I got another day on blog talk, I can go more extensively into this topic. So the first thing I want to get is, let me see, boom, see if this is it. Let's get this from the Britannica. All right, y'all. So this is from the online Britannica, Cleopatra, Queen of Egypt. Bear with me, y'all. It says Cleopatra is Greek. That's the first thing it says, Greek. So the name is Greek, Cleopatra, Greek. And the name means famous in her father. So first of all, we learn that the name Cleopatra itself is a Greek name, and it means famous in her father. Are y'all listening? Reading on. It says, in full Cleopatra the seventh, Thea Philippator, Cleopatra the father loving goddess. So all of this is in parentheses. Parentheses. Sorry, sorry, y'all. Born 70, 69 BCE, died August 30th BCE, Alexandria, Egyptian queen, famous in history and drama as the lover of Julius Caesar, and later as the wife of Mark Antony. She became queen of the death of the death. I'm sorry. She became queen on the death of her father, Ptolemy the sixth in 51 BCE and ruled successfully with her two brothers, Ptolemy, so what is this, 12, the 13th, and Ptolemy the, these damn Roman numerals are I think this is the, uh, the 15th, I think this is, and her son, Ptolemy Caesar, after the Roman armies of Octavia, the future Emperor Augustus defeated their combined forces. Antony and Cleopatra committed suicide, and Egypt fell under Roman domination. Cleopatra actively influenced Roman politics 
at a critical period, and she came to represent, as did not as did no other woman of antiquity, the prototype of the romantic female fatale, which is, I believe, a French word. I'm going to get to that in a second. I just want to get everybody caught up with this history. So when it mentions um, her being the lover of Julius Caesar, that is true. And this Julius Caesar is talking about the first uh, Caesar of Rome. Mark Anthony was uh, Julius Caesar's uh, general that fought alongside of him. And when it mentions uh, Octavius talking about Augustus Caesar, who uh, Caesar, Julius Caesar had adopted, it was actually his nephew, but he adopted him and gave him, basically put him in line to inherit the throne upon his death, which he did, and he changed his name to uh, Augustus Caesar, who the month August is named after. So this is all historical events, historical accounts. Now let me get this Femi uh, Fatale. Let's, let's get that, y'all. So Femi Fatale, and it is, it's a French word. It means fatal woman. A seductive and beautiful woman who brings disaster to anyone with whom she becomes romantically involved. The Femi Fatale archetype that appears throughout history in mythology, art, and literature, and became a principal character in the hard-boiled detective novels and classic film noir of the 20th century. All right, so this is what uh, this Femi Fatale means, and it basically means, uh, matter of fact, Let's get, let's get a little bit more of this. The female fatale has been dismissed as a sexist figure of male fantasy, but also defended as a subversion character who transgresses women's lib- uh, limited social opportunities. She is a stock character who embodies many negative tropes about women, but she is also multifaceted and complexion, I'm sorry, and complex. Her, in, her intelligence is as essential to the archetype as her beauty. It is her cunning and ability, I'm sorry, it is her conniving and uh, ambition that often uh, drives plots. So this is basically a conniving woman who uh, uses what she got to get what she wants. So this is uh, Cleopatra who started this term and made this term so infamous. All right. So we found out who she was. The, the Once again, just recapping, the name Cleopatra itself is definitely a Greek name. Now, it says that this woman was from the Ptolemaic dynasty. So let's dig into that. Let's get first Maccabees in the Apocrypha. And we're going to start at verse 1, y'all, because there's some history we got to uh, capture before we can even get into the Ptolemaic dynasty and who Ptolemy was. 
right, so it reads, First Maccabees chapter 1, verse 1. And it happened after that Alexander, son of Philip, the Macedonian, remember that word, Macedonian, because remember, that's what they said that Cleopatra was, a Macedonian, right? So we find out already that she's from the lineage of Alexander the Great, or Alexander the Greek, Alexander the Freak. I mean, I've heard him called many things, but white boy Alexander. Oop, gave it away. But anyway, we're going to get into it. I'll read it again. And it happened after the Alexander, son of Philip, the Macedonian, who came out of the land of Chittim, which is Italy, had smitten Darius, king of Persia, and Medes, that he reigned in his steed, the first over Greek. So when it says he smitten Darius, the Persian and Medes, it's talking about the Persian Mede Empire. The Persian Mede Empire were dark people, dark nations, and that's who Alexander conquered. When it says the first of Greeks, meaning this was Greeks or so-called white people's first rise to power. That's why when you have a conversation with white folks and you ask them about their histories, they always go where first? Alexander. Because this is the beginning of their rulership, of them coming into power. Now, let's get the rest of Esther. We're going to stay in the Apocrypha, y'all. The rest of Esther. Uh, let me see. 16 and 10. Now, I'm going to be going back and forth with this. And I ain't going to rush this, y'all, because I want everybody to understand. I want to, don't want to lose nobody because it's, it's, it's simplistic, but it can be complicated if you don't know the Bible. And for those that are unfamiliar with what the Apocrypha is, the Apocrypha is part of the Bible, and the word Apocrypha means hidden books. So it was took out by the Catholic Church, and the reason it was took out because it hides a lot of history. It hides a lot of the connecting the dots. And they don't want us to connect the dots to find out who we are as a people, as a nation, and who they are as a people and as a nation. And I'm talking about the so-called white man. You hear a lot of people say that or refer to history as his story because that's what it basically becomes. Whoever Whoever's in power has the authority to write history from their perspective or their point of view, his story. So a lot of people refer to it as that. And it is a part of his story, but we find out that actual history is actual history from all points of views. We're in the book of Esther, the rest of Esther, in the Apocrypha, and the Apocrypha fit right in between the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're in rest of Esther chapter 16. We're going to read verse 10. For Amon, remember that name, Amon, a Macedonian. Ah, you don't say. So we already find out that Amon is kin to who? Alexander. Because they call Alexander what? The Macedonian. We just read it in 1 Maccabees chapter 1 and verse 1. So Amon and Alexander, they kinfolk. They kin to each other. I'm going to prove this. Well, the Bible already proved it. We're going to dig deeper into their nationality, their heritage. I'm going to read this again. Uh, rest of Esther, chapter 16, verse 10. For Amon, a Macedonian, 
the son of Amadatha, 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 this, this name always get me, y'all. Let me get it. Amathada. So, Amon was the son of Amathada. All right? It says, being indeed a stranger from the Persian blood, so he wasn't a Persian, and far distant from our goodness, and as a stranger received of us. So, there's two key points I want to key in right here. Find out he was a stranger to who? To the Persian Medes, because this was Xerxes, who the Bible calls, uh, oh, I'm going to get it in a second, too. What is his name in the Bible? Uh, hold on. Guess we got to get it. Well, we couldn't go there anyway. Uh, That's what he's called in the Bible, okay? Uh, but he's called here, uh, I'm sorry. He's called, yeah, he's calling the apocrypha um, Exertes. But he's, this is him talking. He's saying that this dude, Amon, which is a Macedonian, the son of Amadatha, is of strange blood. He's not a Persian, all right? He's a Macedonian. I want us to understand this, all right? Now, hold this, y'all. Hold this. We're going to be going back and forth. And let's go to Esther in the Bible. Chapter 3 and verse 1. So Esther in the Bible, chapter 3 and verse 1, and it reads, After this thing did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, these names, man. Oh, wait a minute. Come on, man. All right, so let's read this again. After these things did King Ahasuerus. Now, remember, in the Apocrypha, he's referred to as Xerxes, but in the Bible, he's referred to as Ahasuerus, and the reason being, y'all, is because the Bible was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament. The uh, Apocrypha was written in Greek because, remember, and I covered this, those uh, 70 elders known as the Septuagint or the 70, they wrote the Bible out in Greek. They, they translated the Bible from Hebrew to Greek, and that was during the time of the Greeks. And that actually was done in Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt, y'all. So that's why the names are different here. So let me read this again in the Bible. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman. Now, in the Apocrypha, this Haman is Amon, all right? Same dude. The son of Hamidita, the Agite. So this Hamidita is the same dude in the uh, Apocrypha known as uh, Amadatha. So you see the names are kind of similar, but they're different. Once again, the Bible was written in Hebrew, and the Apocrypha was written in Greek. It was translated from the Hebrew to Greek. All right, so it's talking about the same people. But we find out here in the Bible that this Amadatha or Amadatha was an Agite. 
All right? So this dude was an agite. So let's find out who the hell the agites are. What is this talking about? Let's go to First Samuel chapter 15. <clears throat> y'all see how, I hope y'all see how the Bible is a puzzle, man. You got to put the pieces together. You just can't read stuff and take it for face value. You got to dig a little bit deeper. All right. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. And it reads, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint, anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus said the Lord of hosts. So this is Samuel talking to Saul. Thus said the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he lay wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. So he said, he remembered what Amalek did. All right? Let's keep that, that name in mind, Amalek. All right? Now we're going to jump down in the same chapter. Uh, and verse to verse 7 Verse 7 And Saul smote the Amalekites So in verse 2 it says the Amalekites And the, the Amalekites or the, And the Amalekites are the same people I'm sorry in verse 2 it says Amalek So Amalek is a group of people collectively called the Amalekites all right, so it's talking about the same people in verse seven. Let me read it again. And Saul smote the the uh, the, Amal the and Saul smote. Let me slow down. The Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to to shore, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag. Y'all see this? The king of the Amalekites alive. So this dude, Agag, was the king over this people known as the Amalekites. I hope everybody is seeing this. Because remember, in uh, Esther, they called, let's go to Esther real quick. So let's go back to Esther. Chapter uh, Matter of fact Yeah let's get Esther 3 and 1 In the Bible My bad I let it go y'all Esther 3 and 1 So I know we holding a lot of stuff y'all But we got to put all of this together Got to put it together So Esther 3 and 1 After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite. See, Hamadatha is called the Agite. And who are the Agites? We find out in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Agites was, uh, the Agites were the Amalekites. All right? So it was, it was the Agite, or Ag King Agag was the king of the Amalekites. 
So he's from that nation. He's of the same people. I'm going to read this again here. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. So Agag, once again, is the king of the Amalekites, and this, these Amalekites make up a nation or a group of people. I want us to keep that in mind, all right? As we go to Genesis chapter 36 to find out, okay, who are these Agites? Who are these people? So Genesis chapter 36. And what verse are we going to start at? Um, let's get verse, let's get verse 1. So we're going to read verse 1. Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. All right? Now, I touched on this yesterday, too, in my class. And I'm going back over this because this is imperative that we know who these people are because their lineage goes very deep. Now, let me read this again. Now, these are the generations of Esau who is Edom. That's verse 1. Now, let's go to verse 8. Thus, Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. See, as Pastor Paul, what the hell this got to do with the uh, Agites? All right, I'm going to show you. Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomite in Mount Seir. So we find out that this dude named Esau has a group of people collectively known as the Edomites. He's the father of them. Now, let's jump down to verse 15. These were the dukes of the sons of Esau. All right? So out of Esau, out of the Edomites came dukes. It says the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn, son of Esau, Duke Teman, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, Duke Kenaz, Duke Korah, Duke Gotham, and Duke Amalek. Y'all see this? Duke Amalek. Who's Duke Amalek? He's the father of the Amalekites, and the Amalekites, also known as the Agites, and the Agites or the Macedonians. I, I hope everybody see this. I'm not making this up. So these Am Amalekites or Amalekites came from a group of people known as the Edomite collectively. Now let's go back to Esther. Chapter 16, and we're going to read verse 10 again. Now we're going to read it with some understanding. So it says, For Amon, a Macedonian, the son of Amathadah, y'all see this? He was the son of Amathadah, but he's also known as the Macedonian. And we know that this, that this Amathadah was also known as an Agite. We learned that in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
and these uh, uh, Agites were also known as Amalekites. And we went to Genesis chapter 36 to show that the Amalekites came from this dude named Esau, who collectively is known as the Edomites. And that's where the Amalekites come from. I hope everybody's with me. I ain't lose nobody. Mashaba, if you own, brother, tell me, is it clear? Or did I lose people? Did I lose you? I want this to be crystal clear before we can get into the rest of this. All right, y'all. So we found out that Amathadah was also known as an Agite, and that the Agites come from a people called the Amalekites, and the, the Amalekites come from a people known as the Edomites. And these Edomites came from a dude named Esau. All right, now let's go to... Genesis chapter 36. I hope y'all still holding it. And we're going to read Genesis 36 and verse 6. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob, out here in this chapter, Genesis 36, that Esau became a nation right here, y'all. He became a nation here, and that this dude had a brother, and his brother's name was Jacob. Now, let's get their conception. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. So Genesis 25, we're going to start at verse um, 21. We might as well, let's start at verse, yeah, we start at, let's start at 21. Nah, let's start at 20. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old, Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethul, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So this is Isaac's wife, Rebecca. She was barren. She couldn't have any children. So Isaac was praying, requesting of the Lord, hey, man, can you bless my woman with child? Read it on. And the Lord was entreated of him. So the Lord heard him. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. So she got pregnant. Oh, excuse me, y'all. And the children struggled together within her. Children, plural. She has two children in her womb at the same time or conceived at the same time. We call those what? Twins. All right. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And see, what she was saying was, if this is a blessing, then why am I going through what I'm going through? Well, the reason she's going through what she's going through is because kids is struggling, which means what? That they're fighting. And we're going to find out why they're fighting. And she went to inquire of the Lord, verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. So, and we already got this from Genesis chapter 36, that nation was called the Edomites, the nation of the Edomites. 
but it says two nations. The other nation that came out of Rebekah was known as the nation of Israel because the man Jacob, which we're going to get to, Esau's brother, he became named Israel. His name was changed to Israel, which means the prince of power, which the Most High gave him. And he had 12 sons, and his sons make up the nation of Israel. And that nation started and became a nation in the land of Egypt. So it says that two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people. Manners mean what? Their mannerism. They were going to be different from each other. And this is why they was fighting. They had different mannerisms. It says, shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So we're getting the characteristics of the people that came out of our womb. So one people going to be stronger than the other people. It says that the elders going to serve the younger, and the older going to serve the younger. Verse 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. See this? Excuse me, y'all. I'm on this T still. Verse 25. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. Now, we went over this countless times, man. So it's giving characteristics of these children. The first characteristic it gives us is that these children are going to be, first of all, they're going to create nations, all right? Two nations are coming out of these kids, all right? Then it says that they're going to be different, having different mannerisms. Then it said that the first, which would be the elder, he came out and he said he was red all over. So this is talking about actual people, y'all. This ain't no comic book damn characters, nothing like that. Actual people. It says that this particular group of people was going to be red. The only people on the face of the planet that are red is the so-called white man. We loosely refer to him as being white, but he's really red. you never seen nobody the color of damn white paper. So we know they ain't white, but they are, in fact, red. When you look at them, when they get hot in the sun, what color they turn? Red. Hell, when they cold in the wintertime, they get frostbite or whatever, red. When they happy, what color they cheeks? Red. When they sad, red. No matter what's going on, what the climate is, what the situation is, what the emotion is, they're always red. They call themselves rednecks. Why do you think they call themselves rednecks? They're the only people on the face of the planet that are the color red. Because before this time, y'all, everybody that was on the face of the planet was the shade of brown. I'm going to prove that. Let's get Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Coming back to Genesis 25. Hold this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. This is way back in the book of Genesis, which is letting us know at this particular time, every man on the face of the planet was a shade of brown. Because what color is the brown? The ground, y'all, it's a shade of brown. Whether deep, deep, deep uh, potting soil brown or a light shade of uh, sandy-looking brown, everybody was a shade of brown until when? 
till you get to Genesis, the 25th chapter, verse 25, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. So this dude read the first red person that appears on the scene. This is why it's mentioned here, because he was born with a birth defect. He did not have color like the rest of the human beings that was on the face of the planet during this time. Then it says he was hairy also. You know, they got hair that stick up out of their shirt, hair all over their back, the Neanderthals, those people. So reading on. And they call his name Esau. So this nation, this group of people, their progenitor's name, their father's name was Esau, verse 26. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. So they're still fighting. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was three square years old when she buried him. Now, did it give any characteristics of, of, of Jacob? No, it didn't. Why? Because he was a normal child. He was born normal with no birth defects. We you know. And the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter. A cunning hunting means he was skillful. He was a skillful hunter. Like who? The so-called white men. You know, y'all remember Doug Dynasty? Go back and watch the show. Uh, matter of fact, they got a show on now called Naked and Afraid. And these people are put out in the wilderness and remote areas naked with nothing. I mean, they don't get them no clothes. And they got to survive. I think it's like a month or something they got to survive out there. But they naked. And I ain't seen no black people on that show, by the way. But these people are so skillful that they actually go out there and they survive and they be eating everything, man. Everything. And they catch everything because why? They're cunning hunters. You don't believe me? Not just that show, man. Who own all the taxidermist places? They do. Con- uh, cunning hunters. Who 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 come comes up with the weaponry and the traps for all these animals to be trapped in? They do. They're very skillful in hunting. Who who made the damn elephant guns where they can hunt elephants, take out elephants' tusks? They they pride themselves on hunting. That's why they got the damn taxidermy. They put the animals on their walls. They do. There's only one group of people do this, y'all. You could try to argue all day till you blew in the face, but the facts are, are the facts. So this, the, this is the, uh, one of the characteristics, a man of the field. Now, let's get Matthew 13 and 38. And I want to do this quick, man. I, I'm not trying to make this about Esau because, remember, the topic is dealing with Cleopatra. But we have to prove her lineage. And this is the steps we have to go through to prove it. People think you can just see somebody's color and just, oh, yeah, or be, uh, see what's uh, portrayed on TV and just run with it, man. That ain't the truth. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, the field is the world, all right? So when it says that Esau, going back to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 27, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, meaning he was a man of the world, just like we read about who? Alexander the Great being what? A man of the world. He's all over in territory that don't even belong to him. Doing what? Conquering. I'm going to read on. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. See this? It don't say much about Jacob. He just was plain, dwelling in tents. 
And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of this venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob saw pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. So this is Esau selling his birthright for some food. Y'all see this, right? Because traditionally the older, the elder would get the bigger blessing when the father passed on or whatever happened to the father, he would hand it down to his eldest, to his oldest kid. Well, Jacob gave that up right here for some food. So this is another characteristic of these people, the Edomites, they're impatient. Y'all see this. They're impatient and they don't value things that are worth something because the birthright was worth everything, man, but he sold it for some food. Now, remember it said that the pottage was red. Let's get Hebrews 16, uh, 12 and 16. Hebrews 12 and 16, find out why this pottage was red. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, and it reads, Lest there be any fornicator or a profane person as Esau. So here's Esau in the New Testament. Huh? You don't say. Oh, for one morsel of meat, one morsel of what? Meat. So his birthright. So we find out why the pottage was red, because it had meat in it that was what color? Red. What's red meat? Meat that's not cooked fully, y'all. Rare meat. Raw meat. Like what? Medium rare steak or steak tartare. That's where you just sear the outside of the steak, but the inside is still red and bloody. So this is what he sold his birthright for. So this is another characteristic of, the, of these people. They like eating raw meat. Hope everybody's with me. Hope everybody can see this. Going back to Genesis uh, chapter 25. Matter of fact, that's all I want from 25. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 27 now. And we're going to start with 33. Genesis chapter 27 to 33. Now remember, Esau sold his birthright. So we're in Genesis 27 and verse 33, and it reads, And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest, and have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. Now what's going on here? Isaac was at the point to die. And what he wanted before he died was some venison, some good meat, a good meal before he passed on, and before he gave his sons their blessings. So what happened was Jacob dressed up like Esau, came in, and he got the blessing that the eldest was supposed to get. Now, remember, Esau sold or forfeited this birthright when he wanted that raw meat. All right? Jacob took advantage. He took the opportunity of the, of, of the situation and got the blessing. So this is the aftermath of it, verse 34. 
And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a loud, great, I'm sorry, he cried with a great and exceedingly bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father, see how he is? He didn't appreciate it until it meant something to him. Anyway, reading on. And he said, Thy brother came with subtility and had taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. That's a lie. Another characteristic of these people, they're liars. This dude told a lie. You sold your birthright. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Has thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered, answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy lord. Meaning what? Your brother's going to rule over you. And all his brethren have I given to him, meaning all his nation. I have given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Has thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So, in verse 37, where it talks about Esau being a servant, Esau and his nation was a servant. You can go back and read that. That was under David's and Solomon's reign. It tells how David put garrisons in Edom. So, the, uh, the nation of Israel, that's who David came out of, were ruling over the Edomites, ruling over that nation, and was blessed. Now, reading on in verse 39, And Esau his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth. So Isaac heard his son. He felt sorry for him. He gave him a blessing. He said, Man, your dwelling is going to be the fatness of the earth. This came to fruition when Alexander the Greek came into power in around 333 B.C. I'm going to read on, though. And of the dew of heaven from above, means you know, it will have the best of the earth, verse 40. And by the sword shall thou live and shall serve thy brother. So by the sword, meaning their weaponry, where, they, where they're going to take over the known living world and get these blessings. That's how they got them. It says, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy brother. So it says that they were going to uh, conquer the, the conquer by the sword, and then it says, "Don't serve your brother," which they did serve the Israelites by what? By the sword, and then it said they were going to get the dominion. And once they had broken the yoke off of their neck that was put on them by who? By David, by Solomon, they broke that yoke, and then they came into power. As the Greeks, let's get it. Let's go back to Mac Maccabees, First Maccabees, chapter one, and we're gonna read verse one again. I hope everybody's with me. I ain't lose nobody. So it says, and it happened after that Alexander, son of Philip the Macedonian, who came out of the land of Chittim, Italy, had smitten Darius, king of Persia, and Medes 
that he reigned in his steed, the first over Greece. So remember, the Macedonians or the Agites, the Agagites or the Amalekites, the Amalekites or the Edomites that came from who? This twin named Esau, all the same people. So this was them coming into power like it was prophesied. We just read in Genesis, the 27th chapter, them coming in. Hello, hello, hello. I hope everybody can hear me, man. They cut me off. I don't know what the hell's going on. They cut me off, though. Um, where was we at? First Maccabees chapter 1. It says, it happened after that Alexander, son of Philip, the Macedonian. Now, remember, y'all, the Macedonians were also known as the Agites. The Agites were known as the Amalekites. The Malachites was known as the Edomites that came from this dude named Esau. And it was prophesied in Genesis, the 27th chapter, that he was going to have dominion over the earth and over his brother. And this is what it's talking about in 1 Maccabees chapter 1 and verse 1. So reading on, who came out of the land of Chittim, had smitten Darius king of Persia and Medes, that he reigned in his steed, the first over Greece. So Alexander and these Macedonians or these Edomites, they had conquered all the dark nations, all right, at this particular time, y'all. Once again, around 333 B.C., this happened. Read you know, and made many wars and won many strongholds and slew the kings of the earth and went through to the ends of the earth and took spoils of many nations insomuch that the earth was quiet before him, whereupon he was exalted, and his heart was lifted up. And he gathered a mighty strong host and ruled over countries and nations and kings who became tributaries unto him. So he ruled over all these nations, and they had to pay him tribute, tribute or taxes. Verse 5. And after these things he fell sick and perceived that he should die. And this is what happened to Alexander eventually. And I heard reports that this dude died of syphilis, which may be true because he was a homosexual. So he died, verse 6, wherefore he called his servants, such as were honorable and had been brought up with him from his youth, and parted his kingdom among them while he was yet alive. So this is what Alexander did. While he was still alive, he parted his kingdom up amongst his servants or his generals. One of the generals being Cassandra. Cassandra, Cassandra got uh, the the land of Trace and Bithium. That's the, the part that Cassandra got. But Ptolemy, he got the land of Egypt. All right? So the Ptolemaic dynasty we're dealing with, Cleopatra, he got the land of Egypt. Sir Lucius, he got Asia. Israel, Syria, and Babylon. Like Amachus, he got Greece and Macedonia. So these are all the lands that Alexander conquered and gave to his generals upon his death. All right? Now let's get the rest of Esther in the Apocrypha, chapter 11, verse 1. 
and it reads, In the fourth year of the reign of Ptolemus, so Ptolemy, the Ptolemaic dynasty, the people that got the land of Egypt. It's talking about them. In the fourth year of the reign of Ptolemus and Cleopatra, Dositius, who said he was a priest and Levi, and Ptolemus' son, brought this epistle of Purim, which they had, which they said was the same, and that Lycomachus, the son of Ptolemus, uh, that was in Jerusalem, had interpreted. So this is the books that was found, the rest of Esther was found during this time period of the Greeks and wrong, the, I'm sorry, the Greek coming into power under Ptolemy, and they have found the epistle of the book of Esther. That's how we got the rest of Esther that's in the Apocrypha. Now, let's go to Wikipedia. All right, y'all. The Ptolemaic Kingdom. So here's some history on the Ptolemaic Kingdom. The Ptolemaic Kingdom, Cohen Greek, Ptolemaic Empire, was an ancient Greek state based in Egypt during the Hellenistic period. Y'all hear this? An ancient Greek state based in Egypt, which goes right along with what I just said about Ptolemy inquiring what? Egypt. It says it was founded in 305 B.C. by Ptolemy I Sorter, a companion of Alexander the Great and ruled by the Ptolemaic dynasty until the death of Cleopatra the Seventh in 30 B.C., ruling for nearly three centuries. So these were white people, y'all, who we loosely refer to as white, red people, the Edomites. This is their nation in power in Egypt. And Egypt was a dark country, but you had these Red people come down, and they were occupying this red, uh, sorry, occupying this dark country, this dark nation. They colonialized it, basically, like the Edomites still do to this day, man. During the age of conquest, they colonialized all these places, such as Brazil, such as Mexico, Venezuela, uh, Argentina, uh, the Caribbean islands. So you had the, the Spanish that colonialized all those uh, central and southern parts of South America. And then you had the uh, English that colonialized the Caribbean. And the Spanish colonialized part of the Caribbean, that being the island of Hispaniola, which we commonly refer to as the DR or Haiti. And you had the French on the other side colonializing that. So this has been in their DNA. They've been doing this for centuries. This is nothing, nothing new, man. So they even did it back then. So reading on in this, it says, ruling for nearly three centuries, the Ptolemies were the longest and most recent Egyptian dynasty origin. Now, it says that they were an Egyptian dynasty, but clearly you can see that they were Greeks. I hope you all are seeing this. Reading on. Alexander the Great conquered Persian uh, control Egypt 
in 332 B.C. during his campaigns against the Achaemenid Empire. Y'all see this. This is everything we just read in the Apocrypha. After Alexander's death in 323 B.C., his empire quickly unraveled amid complete competing claims by the Beodochi, his closest friends and companions, for Ptolemy, a Macedonian, like Alexander was, who was one of Alexander's most trusted generals and confidants, won control of Egypt from his rivals and declared himself its ruler. I hope y'all are seeing this. So you had white folks controlling Egypt, not the indigenous people of that land, but the conquerors of that land, the ones that colonialized it. They were empowered. I hope y'all seeing this, man. Reading on. Alexandria, Alexandria, a Greek polis uh, founded by Alexander, became the capital city and a major center of Greek culture, learning, and trade for the next several centuries. So how long were the Greeks occupying Egypt? For centuries. Now listen to this. Following the Syrian wars with with the Seleucid Empire, Seleucid Empire will be dealt with in the deal with in the uh, Book of Maccabees in the forced Hellenization of our people, it, the Israelites, and the uh, the forced conversion and the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the voluntary uh, the voluntary conversion of our people. So that's the Seleucid dynasty. So they were fighting against the Ptolemies. It tells you that in Maccabees also. Anyway, a rival Hellenistic state, meaning they were the same people, but they were just rivals. The Ptolemaic kingdom expanded its territory to include eastern Libya, the the Sinai, and northern Nubian. To legitimize their rule and gain recognition from native Egyptians, listen to this, that the, the Ptolemies adopted the title of the pharaoh. So you hear this? You had white folks being pharaohs in Egypt alongside the Greek title Basilius and had themselves portrayed on public monuments in Egypt style and dress. Cultural appropriation, I believe that's what they call, a.k.a. Culture vultures. Hope y'all see this. The monarch rigorously maintained his Hellenistic character and traditions. The kingdom had a complex government bureaucracy that exploited the country's vast economic resources to the benefit of Greek ruling class. Does this sound familiar, man? This is what they do everywhere they go. They exploit indigenous people for their natural resources and have dominion over these people. This is nothing new. You know, 
which dominated military, political, and economic affairs, and which rarely, listen to this, which rarely integrated into Egyptian society and culture, meaning they didn't do that. So this whole notion of Cleopatra being of mixed race didn't happen. Native Egyptians maintained power over local and religious institutions and only gradually acquired power in the bureaucracy, provided they Hellenized, meaning what? The indigenous people of that place could only get any type of power if they adopted the Greek way and the Greek principles of life. That's the only way they came into any type of power. Now listen to this. Beginning with Ptolemy I's son and his successor, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, the Ptolemies began to adopt Egyptian custom, I'm sorry, began to adopt Egyptian customs, such as marrying their siblings. So what was Egyptian custom? To marry their siblings. Y'all can go back and read this in Leviticus, the 18th chapter, verse 1. This is what the Egyptians, the Egyptians were known for doing. So what did these white folks do, these Edomites do? They adopted that. So they would marry their siblings. I'm going to read on. Osiris myth and participating in Egyptian religious lifestyle. So they adopted the Egyptian way. It says, new temples were built, older ones restored, and royal patronage lavished on the priesthood. It says, from the mid-3rd century B.C., Ptolemaic Egypt was the wealthiest and most powerful of Alexander's successor states and the leading example of Greek civilization. Egypt was the leading example of Greek civilization. So how the hell could Cleopatra be black? How could she really be an indigenous, an indigenous Egyptian? She wasn't. So when we read in an article about the suit, so those people have a legitimate suit because they are portraying Cleopatra in the light that is not true, it's not factual. But we're going to find out that even those people ain't the indigenous people of the land. Matter of fact, we find it out here. I mean, read on. It says, beginning in the mid-2nd century B.C. dynasty, strife and a series of foreign wars weakened the kingdom, and it became increasingly relevant on the Roman Republic. Under Cleopatra VII, who sought to restore Ptolemaic power, Egypt became entangled in the Roman Civil War, which ultimately led to its conquest by Rome as the last independent Hellenistic state. Uh, Roman Egypt became one of Rome's richest providences and a center of Macedonian culture. Come on, man. It was the center of Macedonian culture or Greek culture, Edomite culture. And this is in Egypt. And Egypt is where? In Africa, y'all. It's northern Africa. 
Now listen to this. Greek remained the language of government and trade until the Muslim conquest in 641 A.D. Alexandria remained one of the leading cities of the Mediterranean well into the late Middle Ages. So y'all see how Egypt was colonialized and made a Greek providence, and everything there was Greek. Everything. I hope y'all seeing this, man. Now, let me see. I wanted to get one more. Hold on. Let's read this first. Let's get 1 Maccabees chapter 10 of verse 57. The 1 Maccabees chapter 10, verse 57, and it reads, So Ptolemy went out of Egypt with his daughter Cleopatra, and they came unto Ptolemaeus in the hundred three score and second year. So there were many Ptolemies and many Cleopatras, y'all, and that's why I pulled this to show, because we read about another uh, Ptolemy, another Cleopatra, in the book of Esther, man. So it was a lot of them. They dominated, like it said in this article I read, for centuries. They dominated Egypt. Now let's get, uh, let me see, where to go. Establishment. So we're in the same article on Wikipedia, and it reads establishment. I'm going to read this paragraph. It says, following Alexander's uh, death in Babylon in 323 B.C. I'm sorry, read it again. Following Alexander's death in Babylon in 323 B.C., a succession crisis erupted among his generals initially. Uh, Perdiccaeus ruled the empire as regent for Alexander's half-brother, Arhidelius, who became Philip III of Macedonia, of Macedon, and then as regent from both Philip II and Alexander's infant son, Alexander IV of Macedon, who had not been born at the time of his father's death. Perdiccaeus appointed Ptolemy, one of Alexander's closest companions, to be satrap of Egypt. Ptolemy ruled Egypt from 323 B.C. nominally in the name of the joint kings Philip II, um, Philip III and Alexander IV. However, as Alexander the Great's empire disintegrated, Ptolemy soon established himself as ruler in his own right. Ptolemy successfully defended Egypt against an invasion by Perdiccaeus in 321 B.C. and consolidated his position in Egypt and the surrounding areas during the wars of the Diadoche, 322-301 B.C. In 305 B.C., Ptolemy took the title of Basilius and Pharaoh. See, you had the Greeks calling themselves pharaohs. Now watch this. And Ptolemy Sorter, which means savior, 
he founded the Ptolemaic dynasty that was to rule Egypt for nearly 300 years. Come on, man. All the male rules or rulers of the dynasty took the name Ptolemy, while princesses and female rulers preferred the names Cleopatra. Y'all see how this was? She wasn't the first Cleopatra. It was a long line of them. So they took the name Cleopatra, Arsenio, and Bernice. The Ptolemies also adopted the Egyptian custom of marrying their sisters with many of their line ruling jointly with their spouses, who were also of the royal house. This custom made Ptolemaic politics confusingly incestuous, and the later Ptolemies were increasingly feeble. Yeah, they were feeble. Why? Because of them incest, inbred, what they was. Is that the start of the Bismarck? You know I'm on, on live, right? <laughs> I don't know about all that. That's a totally different topic. Anyway, read on. The only Basilius regent of female pharaohs to officially rule on their own were Cleopatra II, Bernice III, and Bernice IV. Cleopatra V did co-rule, but it was with another female, Bernice IV. Cleopatra VII officially co-ruled with Ptolemy what number is this? Thirteen. Ptolemy the Thirteen, Theos, Philippator, Ptolemy the these damn numerals, y'all. I'm sorry. Ten, fourteen, and Ptolemy the fifteenth. But effectively, she ruled Egypt alone. Early Ptolemies did not disturb the religion or the custom of the Egyptians. So they let the Egyptians do their thing. Now watch this. They built magnificent new temples for the Egyptian gods and soon adopted the awkward display of the pharaohs of old. So they became the pharaohs, like I said. Now watch. Rulers such as Ptolemy I sort of respected the Egyptian people and recognized the importance of their religion and traditions during the reign of the Ptolemies, of Ptolemy II and III, thousands of Macedonian veterans were rewarded with grants of farmland, and the Macedonians were planted in colonies and garrisons or settlements themselves in villages throughout the country. Who were the Macedonians once again, y'all? The Macedonians were the Agites. The Agites were the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the Edomites who descended from Esau, white folks. So you had these white folks, these Macedonians, migrate into the land of Egypt where they set up colonies. They colonialized Egypt. So you had white folks in Egypt ruling and living there, coming out, saying that Cleopatra was white, these are their descendants, as well as the Arabs who came in and conquered Egypt. We already read that. All right, let me read on, though. Let me finish this. Upper Egypt, farthest from the, cent the central of government, was less immediately affected. 
Even though Ptolemy I established the Greek colony of Ptolemaeus Hermios to be its capital. But within a century, Greek influence has spread throughout the country, and intermarriage, a marriage, had produced a large Greco-Egyptian educated class. Do y'all see this? Read this part again. Greek influence had spread through the country, and intermarriage had produced a large Greco-Egyptian educated class. These are the people that are coming against Netflix and following this suit now. So they were, they was white. They was Edomites, man. Anyway, nevertheless, the, the Greeks always remained a privileged minority in Ptolemaic Egypt. They lived under Greek law, received Greek education, were tried in Greek courts, and were citizens of Greek cities. I hope y'all seeing this, man. The, Pato- the Ptolemaic Empire, under, under Cleopatra, white folks, Cleopatra was a white woman, a Greek, a Macedonian. All right, now we got to get to this. So who were the original Egyptians, and who are they this day and age? So let's go to the Zonavan chapter 213. So we're going to the Compact Bible, the Zondervan Compact Bible Dictionary, page 213, to get who the original Egyptians were. Because we obviously see that it wasn't the Greeks. That's obvious. All right. Definition of Ham. The youngest son of Noah, born probably about 96 years before the flood, and one one of eight persons to live through the flood, he became, he became the progenitor of the dark races. The word progenitor means father. Not the Negroes. So Ham was the, the father of the dark races, but not the Negroes. So-called Negroes that are here in America and spread, spread throughout all the world right now. We are not Africans. We are not the Hamites. All right? It says, but. Now, who is, he, who is Ham the progenitor of? It says, but. The Egyptians, so the ancient Egyptians, the original uh, inhabitants of that land were sons of Ham. It says Ethiopians, Libyans, and Canaanites. So these were the original Egyptians, and we find out that they're the dark races. These were the original Africans, also known as Hamites. And it said, who were they? The Egyptians. The word Egypt means uh, comes from the Hebrew word Mizraim. The Ethiopians were the people of Cush, the Libyans and the Canaanites. All right, so these are all sons of Ham. I want us to understand this. These were the original Egyptians. Now let's get Psalm 78 and verse 41. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 78 and verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. 
Talking about us. Verse 42. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt. And it's talking about when the, the uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me slow down. It's talking about when the Israelites were rescued out of Egypt. And Egypt being who? The sons, one of the sons of Ham, the dark races. Now watch this. It says, and his wonders in the field of Zoan, and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent the divers sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillars and their labors unto the locusts. So this is named all the plagues that the Most High sent against the Egyptians to free the Israelites out of their land. Verse 47. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores, sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their, flo- and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spread, I'm sorry, he spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence. Now, watch this. Listen to this, y'all. And smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength, in the tabernacles of Ham. So this goes right along with what we just read in the Zonavan Compact Bible Dictionary. The Egyptians come from this dude named Ham, which was one of Noah's three sons that survived the flood. Hope y'all with me. Uh, now, that King Tut, I'm not familiar with it, but I believe King Tut was before the time of the Ptolemies. So he would have been an actual Egyptian because my cousin asked me the question. So King Tut was a white dude. (laughs) Like I said, I believe King Tut was before the Ptolemies. That's going back to ancient Egypt, before they were colonialized. All right, so let's get Psalm chapter 105. Psalms 105, verse 23. And it reads, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Once again, the Egyptians were Hamites. They descended from one of Noah's three sons named Ham. And remember, they were of the dark races, all right, but not the Negroes. All right, got to remember, that's very important. All right, let's go back, go over a chapter, Psalms 106 and verse 21. And it reads, they forgot God their Savior, saying the Israelites forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Once again, proving who the Egyptians are, sons of Ham. Let's get Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10. Exodus 
Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. Now watch this. So we know that the, the sons of Ham are dark because Ham was the progenitor of the dark races, but not the Negroes. So who are the Negroes? We're going to find out who they referring to as the Negroes. Now watch this. Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. This child is talking about Moses. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. So this is why she uh, this is why she named him Moses, because she drew him out of the water. His name means to draw out. But remember, she raised Moses as her son. So let's get Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 6. So Moses was raised as an Egyptian. He passed as the Pharaoh's grandson. And we already established that the Egyptians are the sons of Ham, and Ham is the progenitor or the father of the dark races. So the Egyptians were dark. So how the hell else could Moses pass for an Egyptian unless Moses himself was what? Dark. A man of color. I hope we get this. But he was not an Egyptian. So that would make Moses what the Zion Bible, Compact Bible Dictionary referred to as the Negro. That would make Moses a Negro. And we know that Moses was from the tribe of Levi, and the Levites came from the nation of Israel. So Moses was an Egyptian. I'm sorry, not an Egyptian, I'm tripping. Was an Israelite. Moses was an Israelite from the nation of Israel. That would make the, the Negroes Israelites. I hope y'all seeing this, man. Now, let's prove Moses was a man of color. Exodus chapter 4, verse 6. And the Lord said furthermore to him, calling to Moses, put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. This is Moses. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. So Moses was told to put his hand into his bosom or his shirt by the Most High, and he put his hand in there, and when he, it said when he took it out, his hand was leprous. What is leprous? It says as snow. Leprous is the color of white. Moses' hand turned from having color to not having color. His hand turned white, man. Y'all see this, which means that Moses was a man of color. Now watch this, verse 7. And he said, put thy hand into thy bosom again. So put your hand to your shirt a second time. And he put his hand into his bosom again. And he plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Meaning what? His hand turned back to his original color. The color of dark. The color of brown. Moses was not a white dude. Contrary to the movie you've seen on TV back in the day with Charles and Heston, um, the story of Exodus, that is not accurate. The cast is all off. Story on point, cast not accurate. Cultural appropriation, once again. It's in these people's DNA, man. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass 
in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, the Israelites, and looked on their burden. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So what nation was Moses from? He was from the Hebrew nation or the Israelite nation. But he passed once again as an Egyptian. So the Egyptians being the, of a dark complexion, the color brown, the, the uh, Israelites being of the color brown. Verse 12, and he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So the Egyptian not being his brother, not being his kinfolk, but the Israelite was, in fact, his kinfolk. I hope y'all seeing this. Let's get Acts chapter 12 now. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7. I'm going to speed up a little bit, too, y'all, because I'm getting pressed for time. Acts chapter 7, and where are we at? Verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, It came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So how long was Moses passing as Pharaoh's grandson? Forty years. You see that? So he was indoctrinated with Egyptian culture, passed as an Egyptian because the Egyptians were people of color also. They were black people. Read it again. And when he was full, 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Hope y'all seeing this. All right. Now, let's get this article here. Which one I want to get first? Uh, Let's get the history wiped out. Uh, Where is it at? Right there. All right. This is from African history, truly African, y'all. And the headline reads, History Wiped Out, the Dinka Nubians' connection from Central Sudan, Sudanese, are the first ancient Egyptians. I'm going to read this again. History Wiped Out, the Dinka Nubians' connection from Central Sudanese are the first ancient Egyptians. Y'all hear this? These are the ancient Egyptians. They were removed out of the land. We're going to get to it. It says, from the book, Sudan's Blood Memory, The Legacy of War, Ethnicity, and Slavery in South Sudan by Stephanie Biswick. Stephanie Biswick is a professor of history at uh, Bell State University in Munich, Indiana. She was born in Khartoum, Sudan. So she's of these people. The Dinka Nubian connection. Many societies worldwide possess all histories and long memories, reaching back many centuries, particularly of wars and events of great trauma. Labeling them blood memories in the in this book, Stephanie Beswick presents a pre-colonial history of Southern Sudan. She said a pre-colonial meaning before Esau came in and colonized all that area. 
Because remember, they sat down at the uh, the conference of oh man, I don't remember the name of this damn conference. So they had a conference where all the European nations sat down and divided Africa. That's why Africa still some of Africa's uh, states have uh, European names, whether it was the Portuguese or the Dutch or the French. And that's why a lot of those places still speak those language, languages, because I believe they speak French in Cameroon. <clears throat> anyway, it says, beginning in the 14th century, the book follows the region's largest ethnic group today, the Dinka, from their original homeland in the central Sudanese Gizir between the Blue and White Niles, into their more recently adopted homelands in southern Sudan. This week demonstrates how early pre-colonial stresses play a critical role in modern-day South Sudan in what has since become the world's largest civil war fought externally against the fundamentalist Islamic Northern Sudanese government as well as internationally within the South itself. Now, let me get to the point I want. <clears throat> okay, here it is. The first part of the of this book details how the Dinka and other Nilotic tribes came from central Sudan about 500 years ago. This is a 25 to 27% linguistic relationship between the Dinka language which is Nilo-Saharian, and the ancient Nubian language. The modern so-called Nubians are also physically related to the Nubians of the north. Dinka scholars and other Sudanese scholars have seen that the Dinka bow and arrows is identical to the ancient Egyptian bow and arrows. There are many other identical tools used both A's and Dinka. So what they're saying is they're tracing these Dinka people's roots all the way back to the ancient Egyptians. And these uh, people were pushed out of Egypt. Because remember, we read how the Greeks had colonialized Egypt for over 300 years they did. It said three years. 300 years they colonialized it. So a lot of these people left or pushed out, and they migrated to the, uh, to the plains of Sudan. It says, moreover, the Dinka or jet black and looked like the Nubians depicted in Egyptian, I'm sorry, depicted in Egyptian drawings. Y'all see this, man? So, the, the the people that live there now are not the original inhabitants of the land, y'all. Those people were pushed out. And those people being the Dinkas or also they're known as the Nur of Sudan. Now, they're known for their height. Now, watch this. It says uh, Dinka are noted for their height along with the Tutsi of Rwanda. I don't know if y'all ever seen the movie Hotel Rwanda when they had the Tutsi and they was fighting against, I forgot, the other tribe. But it says that the Dinkas are noted for their height, and along with the Tutsi of Rwanda, they are believed to be the tallest people 
in Africa. So these uh, these um, Dinka people are known for their height. Roberts and Brainbridge reported the average height of 182.6 centimeters, which is 5 feet 11 inches. In a sample, I'm sorry, in a sample of five, uh, 52 Dinka and uh, 181.3 uh, uh, centimeters, 5 foot 11, and 227 Dinka were wooing measures in 1953-1954. So they're known for their height. They're known for being tall. Now watch this. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, y'all. First Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to read verse 4. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of God, whose height was six cubits and a span. So I ran out of time, y'all, but this six cubits and a span equates to about, uh, let me see what I come, about nine feet. So this dude was about nine foot tall, man, nine foot, 18 inches tall. And remember, this was Goliath. Remember the story of David and Goliath? This is that story. So these people were known for their height, all right? So the Dinka people are also known for their height, and we find the similarities between um, Goliath and these people. Now, I said that they were from the Philistines, right? Now, let's get this. Let's see if I got time, man. So let's get Genesis chapter 10, y'all. Genesis chapter 10, and we're going to jump around. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. So these are the sons of Ham we're dealing with. Now, jump to verse 14, and it says, And Pathruslim, or Phalishrim, Pathruslim, and Kasluhim, out of whom came Philistine. So the Philistines came from the sons of who? The sons of Ham, y'all. Remember verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. Verse 14 again. And Pathruslim and Kalislim, out of whom came Philistim, and Kathorim. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heath, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Gergesites. So these people, what I want to concentrate on was verse 14, where it says that the uh, Pathruslim, or Pathruslim, and Castlehim, of whom came Philistim, or the Philistines, are the same people. The same people that uh, Goliath came out of, 
and Goliath once again was nine foot tall and it's nine feet tall and it said that these people the duke the duca the Dika people were known for their height. All right. So those were the original Egyptians, like I said, that was pushed out of the land by the Greeks and then later the Arabs pushed them out during the Arab uh, rise to power, the conquest, uh, the rebirth, them coming back into power under the Ottoman Turks. They pushed the rest of the indigenous people out of that region, and it was occupied because for three centuries, the Greeks was there, white folks. And then the Arabs came in. So the people that are currently living in Egypt are not, I repeat, not the indigenous people of the land. I hope y'all see that, man. I hope everybody got some understanding out of the class. I hope I was not going too fast. Hold on, y'all. I'm getting a whole bunch of text messages going on right now. Okay. This always happens too when I go air. I hope y'all got some um, understanding out of the class, man. I know it was a lot. I know it was a lot to uh, digest, but I hope it was clear. I hope uh, everybody got some edification out of the class, uh, the water mashaba for hooking up the broadcast. And if y'all got any questions, man, any topics that y'all would like me to get into, to deal with, maybe some of you scratched your head over for years, I would definitely dive into it and uh, hopefully bring some understanding out uh, of with your question. So uh, that's about it, y'all. That's all I got dealing on this topic. Uh, I was glad I finished it up because usually, well, you know, I, I didn't do no news and nothing like that. So it felt good to have uh, the whole two hours to deal with a topic, man, and just that topic rather than jumping around. But uh, that's it, man. That's all I got, y'all. Um, this was good, Mashaba. Uh, hope to hope to do this again um, on Thursdays coming forth. Uh, this was cool, man. I, I appreciate this, brother, uh, to, for you giving me the platform to do so. And uh, all praises to the Most High, y'all. Uh, all praises and uh, shalom to the 12 tribes, man, scattered worldwide. And with that, y'all, I'm definitely going to say shalom. <laughs>